cases. You know, I want to break out in that song. I've sang it to you before. Every time I see your smiling face, it makes me smile myself because I love you. Right? Thanks for being here this morning. A um, couple of announcements before we jump into the message. If you are a first-time guest, thank you for being here. Uh, back in the back, we have a, a table there with gifts for you. Uh, one is a uh, reusable shopping bag. The other is, uh, has a tumbler in it, so feel free to grab one of those for yourself. Thank you for being here. Uh, tithes and offerings, if you have any gifts you'd like to give, back in the back at the kiosk, uh, you can give there or at lifechurchutah.com. And I want to give another plug to our library in the back, our little book exchange. If you'd like to read, it has grown. We've had people donate more books. Uh, go back there, see if there's a book you like. Take it, read it, bring it back, read another one. All books are you know, free to take home. There's no checkout system, so just take it. Comic books included uh, for the kiddos um, or for you grown adults that still like comic books. Check those out. I don't have a slide for this one, but um, our prayer chain. Uh, we mentioned it a couple weeks ago. If you are interested in being a part of the prayer chain, uh, Connie has volunteered to lead that, to take that on. If you're interested, go see her. Um, and she will get you set up and uh, get you put on the prayer chain. All right, so we've been in this study of the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and a quick recap of what we've covered over the last three weeks. Uh, the first week, we looked at this idea that Jesus has a higher calling, higher purpose for our lives, and that if we're willing to step out and into that purpose, he will use us to impact and influence and change lives around us. And we looked at the story of John the Baptist and the calling of the first disciples, how they stepped outside of what they knew and out in faith into what God was calling them to do. And through that, God used them to change the world. And then we looked at this idea that our faith stirs the heart of God and brings with it hope and healing. We looked at the story of the paralytic and how his friends lowered him through the roof in front of Jesus because the, the place was so full of people that they couldn't get him through. So they made a hole in the roof and lowered him down. And we saw that Jesus was moved because he saw their faith. And I challenged you with this idea, can Jesus, can God see your faith? What are you believing God for in 2021? And reminded us that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the enemy of our soul, against the, the spiritual forces. But that through our faith, uh, lives can be changed. And then last week, we looked at the story of the man with the deformed hand. And we talked about how Jesus notices. He sees you. And because he sees you, because he notices you, we don't have to act like we have it all together. We don't have to pretend that we are figured out, that we, we know everything about life and, and this faith journey, but that we can be vulnerable before God and with one another and approach the things that we go through with grace and with truth. Because when we are vulnerable to God and one another, coupled with the fact that Jesus notices us, it sets us up for a breakthrough. 
And the takeaway was vulnerability reveals our humanity and need for Jesus, which leads to breakthrough. Well, I want to tell you a story about a trip I took about five years, well, six years ago, it was 2015. It was a trip I took to Lake Powell with another church up in North Salt Lake. And it's a trip that they do annually with their men's ministries, and they go down to Lake Powell, and they, they rent a houseboat, and other gentlemen bring their boats, and you, you, you camp on the beach for a week. And it, it was really one of the best vacations I have ever been on. There is no agenda. There is no real set goals besides growing closer to God and building friendships and relationships and catching a whole lot of fish. It was a lot of fun. You know, we would get up in the morning, we'd eat breakfast, break for whatever activity you wanted to do. If you wanted to go fishing, you went fishing. If you wanted to go explore, you go explore. If you wanted to sit at camp and just sunbathe, you could do that or go swimming or whatever it was you wanted to do, you could do that. And this kind of trip was the real kind of roughing it because you're out in the middle of nowhere. There are no toilets. There are no showers. There, it is, it is roughing it. So you got to find a tree. you got to find a log, a bush, or hop in the lake every couple days to take a bath because uh, you started getting a little smelly. That's what you would do. And the... The seasoned gentlemen, they got to sleep on the houseboat. They were, those rooms were already spoken for. They got all of the amenities. It was us younger folks that slept on the beach in the tents. And I've got some pictures here. Um, and it was, it was really fun. I don't know if you can see it. It might be a little too small, but down on the bottom left is the camp. There's the houseboat. We would beach it. The houseboat would not move until the day we left. And every night we would do a Bible study and, and a bonfire. And here is where we would grow deeper with God and with one another. Because let's be honest, when you're out fishing, you're really not talking a lot. Uh, you're there. The goal is to catch fish, not to really talk. And so at nighttime, when we would do this Bible study, led by different men, it wasn't always the pastor, we would get to, we would build those relationships there. We would read, we would pray, we would talk. And it was really a great time of encouragement. And then at the end of the week, uh, when we were getting ready to go, uh, we left on Saturday. Friday night, we would have a big fish fry. And all of this fish that we caught, we would cook and we would gorge ourselves on fish. And the thing is, is they have a, a fish down there and we're holding them up. I don't know if the real name is striper bass. That's what they called them. It's a white fish. And at the time, there was no limit. You could catch all the striper bass you wanted. Our best catch in one day was 44 fish. And so we kept all of those fish, and that was just our boat. And then you had all three or four other boats. And I don't think we had more than like three bags of leftovers after our Friday night fish fry. And it was... It was Gosh, you felt sick eating that much fish, but it was so delicious. But <laughs> in the, the middle of the week, 
So everyone, we had smartphones, they were around and we would watch the weather because at Lake Powell the weather can turn in an instant and you don't want to be caught on the water when the weather changes. So we would pay attention and the weather was pretty nice. We were down there uh, in October, the end of October. So the daytime would be kind of warm. You might need a light jacket, especially if you're on the water, you got a jacket. Um, and at night there was a nice chill, so it wasn't too hot or too cold. It was, it was really nice. And, uh, we got a little bit of rain one day when we were on the water. It wasn't terrible. But inside this cave, one of the gentlemen really knew the lake well, and he would take the newbies on a tour. And while we were out on this tour, it started to rain. And this wasn't a picture of when I was there, but we pull inside this cave, which is twice the size of this room. And it's storming outside. Inside of the cave, the water's calm. And off of that rock, you just is like a waterfall. It was really uh, a picturesque kind of cool uh, scene. And, um, but there was one day that we noticed, we knew that there was a storm coming. So everybody stayed inland. And we didn't, we didn't venture out in the boats. Everybody uh, tied down the boats. I went out to my tent, tried to secure it just in case because we didn't know what was going to happen. And then off in the distance, you see the, the clouds starting to come. And it seemed like out of nowhere, came this wind, and this wind was, it was, it was moving. The, the houseboat was shifting. The boats that were tied to it were rocking. The, my tent was being almost bent in half, and it was, it, was, it was like, okay, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. And then just as fast as the winds came, here comes torrential rain. I mean, it was rain like I've, I've never seen that much water fall from the sky at one time. And we're all bunkered in the houseboat just watching this scene. And I look out at my little tent, and it was, it was doing all it could to fight the wind and the rain. And it was like, I've, i got to do something. We have a broken tent. Because now it is literally bent in half. And the rain is, and so I go out there and get soaking wet, and I'm trying to tie it down and secure it so that it doesn't break in half or blow away. And it seemed almost as fast as that storm came, it left. And it was about 15, 20 minutes of craziness. We all get out of the houseboat to go assess the damage. Guys around their boats, us that were at the tent, had tents, went out to our tents. And it wasn't as bad as I was expecting, thankfully. Only half of my tent got flooded. So now we're watching the sky, hoping no more storms come because we got our sleeping bags laid out on the rocks, trying to get them to dry so we're warm at night. And it, was, um, it wasn't terrible, but it was, it was quite quite the storm, and, uh, you know, the, the power and the sudden nature of the storm was so impressive. The power of the winds and the, the rain could not be questioned. We were worried. I wouldn't say we were scared for our lives, but we were concerned because we knew that that storm wasn't going to be messed with. We had to kind of bow to the will of that, that storm. Have you ever experienced a storm like that? Has there been a, a metaphorical type storm in your life that has been like that? A storm where it feels like things are out of control no matter how hard you try. Well, that is the story we're going to be looking at today in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus gives direction, a storm came, and the disciples were terrified. We find the story in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. I'm going to read it to you. Verse 35 says this. 
That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for this story in particular. Lord, as we go through and look at this storm, may we make the correlation to the storms that we go through. I pray this morning that as we pull out principles that you would help us to hear them, to understand them, and to apply them to our lives. I thank you for this opportunity to learn from you and from your word. So open our ears to hear, our minds to understand what the Spirit is saying. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as I was putting this together, the thought I had was this. If we know and understand who is with us, we will make it through the storm. If we know and understand who is with us, we will make it through the storm. Now, before we jump into our story, I wanted to teach you a little bit about the Sea of Galilee. This was the sea that they were crossing. And, uh, you know, in sharp contrast to the bustling streets of Jerusalem and the sun-kissed beaches of Tel Aviv, it is a beautiful but tranquil place called the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. It's situated in the Jordan Rift Valley at approximately 700 feet below sea level. The Sea of Galilee is the world's lowest freshwater lake. Now, you can go ahead and go to the next slide. The Sea of Galilee is known in the Bible as the Sea of Kinneret and to local Israelis as Kinneret. The Hebrew word for harp is kinor. So the Kinneret is descriptive of the harp-like shape of the lake. The Sea of Galilee is also referred to in the Gospels as the Lake of Gesenaret or the Sea of Tiberias. Now, one of the earliest regions settled in Israel, the Sea of Galilee has pretty much not changed since the time of Jesus, where he did most of his ministry. He did a lot of his ministry there in Capernaum, right by the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it's Israel's largest freshwater lake, the Sea of Galilee, not only affords breathtaking vistas, as you can see there in charming beaches nestled along a 13-mile coastline, but it also provides a near-pristine look back into a time to a landscape quite familiar to what Jesus would have seen and his disciples. It's fed by the Jordan River, and the lake is surrounded by broad, uh, fertile valleys and numerous biblical sites. Now, the thing that's cool about the Sea of Galilee is in some locations, because of the way it is shaped and the shape of the hillside, it served as a natural amphitheater. So if you were in a boat speaking to land, they estimate up to 7,000 people could hear one voice speaking to them. So it's an amazing thing that 
Jesus was, it kind of made sense why he would teach there. He would be on the boat, and he would have an entire audience that could hear his one voice. So now enter the story with me, if you will. Jesus is tired from a full day of teaching. In Mark chapter 4, verse 34, it says, He taught them as much as they could understand. Jesus has been there all day. And he's teaching these people in parables and in truths of the gospel. And then he tells his disciples, let's go to the other side. We see in verse 35 through 36, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, as I was putting this together and I, I reread those verses quite a bit because I pondered over the thought of what it meant when it said, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. What did that mean? And I did some reading on some different commentaries, so here's their thoughts mixed with my thoughts. But one thought was Jesus was teaching in the boat and didn't want to go back to the shoreline because then the people would have come at him wanting him to perform more miracles, to teach more, and they, he was just he was tired. He wanted to move on and go to the next place. Another thought was Jesus, when he sent, sent out his disciples, a story that is in chapter 6 of uh, Mark, he tells them to take nothing with them. Not that items like a bag or bread or uh, an extra tunic or money, those things wouldn't be helpful or useful, but he wanted the disciples to learn to rely on God to provide for their every need for their provision. So perhaps this was an early lesson in that principle that God was going to provide for them. They didn't need to go back to town to get supplies before they went across the Sea of Galilee. I mean, I would imagine if you're traveling with Jesus and as much as he moved, you probably traveled pretty light. You didn't carry a lot of stuff with you. You were always on the move, staying with people in their homes and, and uh, always going. So they launch across from there, and they start to go across the Sea of Galilee, and a storm comes. And the disciples start freaking out. In verse 37, it says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, I love this story. There's so much in the story that we can relate to, and I love the picture of truth that it paints of Jesus. You know, has there been a time in your life where you felt like there's been a storm, something that has been so overwhelming that you just you couldn't bear it? And even though you're going through it and you, you recall the, the verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that, that God will not give you more than you can bear, and while that verse is referring to temptation, I think there's a principle there that we can apply that God doesn't want us to be crushed. He doesn't want us to be taking on more than we can handle. But sometimes it might feel like that he does. It might feel like he's given us more than we can handle. This is the place the disciples are at. Didn't Jesus tell us to go to the other side? This was his idea. Where is he? And in a panic, they begin to look for him. And when they find him, what is he doing? 
He's asleep. He's asleep. So they wake him from his sleep. And this is, question is only found in the Gospel of Mark because this story is also in Matthew and in Luke. And they ask him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? You know, there's some times in life where it might feel like, God, do you care what I'm going through? Do you care that I feel like I'm going to drown? Now, I've heard it said that these disciples, they were fishermen. They knew the sea, that, that they were afraid. And that statement is only partially true. Only a few of them were fishermen. There's a great deal of them that we have no idea what they did, what their profession was. We know that Andrew, Peter, James, and John were fishermen because when Jesus called them, they left their nets and followed him immediately. You can speculate that perhaps Thomas, Nathaniel, and Philip were fishermen because when Jesus appears to them after he has risen from the dead, they are fishing with Andrew, Peter, James, and John. But as far as Matthew, he's a tax collector. Simon, he's a, a zealot or a politician. Judas, you can maybe say, was a treasurer or had some dealings in finance because he handled the money purse for the disciples. And as I said, the rest of the disciples, we don't know what they did. So in my mind, as I'm playing out this scene, they're all on this boat together. I, I see we have Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. They've been through a storm. They know what it's like. They've been on a boat. They're fishermen. So they're doing everything they can to keep this boat from going underwater. They, they know that the sails need to do this. The rudder needs to do this. And they are working the ship to keep it afloat. I would imagine it was the other disciples that were like, wait a minute. What in the world's going on? Where is Jesus? This is his, this is his deal. He wanted us to go. Why is he not up here helping us? Now, I'm not suggesting that the fishermen weren't afraid. You know, they may have been afraid, but I, I believe they knew what to do. They'd been there before. They knew what the water could do. Have you been in a place where you felt like you might drown? The debt is just too much. The stress of this company is too overwhelming. I can't handle this doctor's report right now. I just I can't take another loss. I'll, I'll never be good enough to rise above and win. You know, life can cause you to feel these, these statements. I know I have felt these statements before. So what does Jesus do? Verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus gets up, and he speaks. He speaks. I don't think he yelled. I think he spoke. I've referred to this verse in the past, the first verse of John chapter of the Gospel of John, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things are made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus was there when it all started. So when we go back to when it all started, what does the Bible say? And God said. And God said. And God said. 
God nearly needs to speak, and it happened. He just needs to speak. So I don't think he yelled. He only needed to speak. For when he spoke, creation knew who was speaking to it, and they knew it had to come under his authority. This was the creator. This is the one from whence they came. They, they had to do what he commanded. Now remember, just a few minutes ago, I said, I love the picture of truth that this story paints of Jesus, and here's why. Jesus was fully human. He knew fatigue. He needed rest. I think that was so that he could relate to us and we could relate with him. He knew what it was like to live this life. Just because he was Jesus, the Son of God, does not mean that he was exempt from experience, the experience of being human. That's why the author of Hebrews can write in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 through 18, for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. See, so when you're in the middle of your storm, and it feels like God doesn't get you, like he couldn't understand, we just read that he does. He gets it. He's lived it. And the thing that's amazing is Jesus, who has lived this life and knows what it is to be human, sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. But you see, while he was fully human, he was still fully God. So for when he spoke, nature knew who was speaking to it, and, they, and it submitted to, their, to his authority. And then he looks to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, I don't think this was a scolding. I think some of us could maybe read into it. I think it was more of a sadness, maybe a disappointment. Out of all the stories that we have looked at so far, these men were there. They've seen the healings. They've seen people delivered from demonic possession. They've seen the paralytic pick up his mat and walk out of that house. They've seen the freedom and the joy that has been found in Jesus presenting the gospel to people. And still, they weren't understanding. They still weren't getting it. It was as if Jesus was saying, don't you know who was in the boat with you? If I said, go to the other side, we're, you're going to make it to the other side. What we need to understand about this disciple is something that I think we might miss, lose sight of, is the fact that they were on a journey just like us. They were on a faith journey as well. They were learning every day. They didn't have it all figured out. And they had Jesus standing right in front of them. So what are you afraid of? What is it that has you worried? What is your storm? Remember, fear is not of the Lord, but peace and of a sound mind. Now, there are a couple principles, three principles that I pulled from this story that I think we can apply to our lives, something that we need to always remember. 
The first is this. We are all going to go through storms. We're all going to face storms. Now, just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean life gets easier. In fact, in most cases, it's the exact opposite. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but you, you have now switched sides. And there is an enemy of your soul that does not want you to switch sides. And he's going to do all he can to get you to come back, to give up, to walk away, to renounce this new faith that you have found in Christ. He is going to fight you tooth and nail. Now, every storm is not caused by the devil. Some of them are caused by our, our own stupidity, our own decisions, what we choose to do, and we have to bear the consequence of that. But needless to say, we are all going to go through storms in life. We need to be prepared for that. We, we shouldn't be shocked by that. It's a part of our journey. The second thing is this. We need the help of other believers to help us man the ship sometimes. We need people. Like I said, when the boat was being swamped, I believe that the fishermen were doing what they could to keep the boat afloat. I don't think that they were in a panic standing by wondering what to do. And sometimes when our boat is going under, we need somebody who has gone through what we have gone through to walk beside us. We need other people. That's why uh, a few messages ago I encouraged we can't forsake the meeting of the church, the assembly of the church. While I think online church served its purpose at the beginning of COVID, I think it has done a great disservice to the church. The church needs to be together. The church needs to meet together. We need to see each other, talk to each other, experience each other's stories with, with one another. You can't do that if you're watching online. The thing that, is, that we, want, we seem to forget is the old saying, divide and conquer, divide and conquer. Yeah, we can watch all the sermons we want online, but as long as I'm by myself, I'm left to my own mind, I'm left to my own devices with no accountability, it's easier to fall back into where I came from, what God has pulled me from. But when I get with other believers, something happens in our lives. When I am able to talk to Eddie and hear his story, or talk to Chris, or to Terry, or to Adam, and we learn from one another what you've gone through and how God has pulled you through it, or what I've gone through and how God has pulled me out of it. There's something that happens there that encourages us, that builds us up. We need each other. We need to come out of our hiding and be the church together. The third thing, we need to remember who is in the boat with us. We need to remember who is in the boat with us. The one thing the disciples did best is when their boat was going under, they knew where to run. They knew who to go to. They went and they found Jesus. Now, while I believe that Jesus spoke to the storm, I would imagine that the disciples were probably a little more panicked and yelled at him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? See, Jesus doesn't turn away when you're afraid. He doesn't turn away when you're mad, when you're hurt, when you're confused. No, he turns to the storm. He says, Quiet. Be still. Now, sometimes that stillness does not come as fast as we want. We don't always understand the timing. But Jesus is there talking to the storm. Quiet. Be still. 
And through the whole storm, Jesus is there strengthening us, encouraging us, empowering us through his spirit. Know who is in the boat with you. Jesus promised, never will I leave you or forsake you, but I will be with you till the end of the age. So how does our story end? Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They were terrified. Now, I don't think this was a terrified like they were scared of Jesus. I think this was a terrified, we've got a newfound respect for Jesus. Like, man, he really is who he says he is. Like, it's one thing to heal some people, but when you get nature being obedient to what you're saying, this has got to be God. There was a newfound respect for him. They were beginning to realize who was in their midst, the God of creation. So I say again, if we know and understand who is with us, we will make it through the storm. If we know and understand who is with us, we will make it through the storm. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are with us. As we looked at in the month of December, and as you keep reminding us week after week, you are Emmanuel, God with us. And no matter what our storm is, no matter what it is we are going through, help us to realize who is in the boat with us, who is walking with us. It is the God of creation. It is the one that has had that brought victory over sin, death, hell, the grave, that you are victorious and that you are at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, praying for us, building us up and strengthening us in our weakness. So I pray, Father, as we go through what we go through in life, help us to not be discouraged, but be encouraged because you are with us. And if you are not with us, Lord, I pray that we would invite you into the boat with us, that we wouldn't try to do this thing alone, but that you would be with us. We bless you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before I let you go, I got a quick uh, reflection and a challenge for you. The reflection is this. What is your storm? What is it you are going through? And are you trying to manage this storm by yourself? Are you trying to manage it alone? And the challenge is this. No matter where you are on your journey, if you're in a storm, coming out of a storm, or in the calm, invite Jesus to be with you in the boat. And I also want to encourage and challenge you that if you know somebody that is going through something, that you could help encourage them, come up beside them, love them, and bless them and encourage them as well. Now, I'm not saying force yourself into their boat, but say, you know what? I understand what you're going through. And if you need somebody to talk to, if you need someone to pray with you, I know what it is you're going through. I will be here. Make yourself available to them. My friends, remember, Jesus sees and notices you. He walks with you. Take him with you into the storm, and you will get to the other side. We're on this journey together, and if we will do this together with Jesus, people will take notice. 
Remember, where you see Jesus in the middle of your storm either builds your faith or destroys your faith. Where do you see him in your storm? And when you get to the other side, people will begin to ask, how did you make it through what you just went through? How are you still standing? And you can say, Jesus, he got me through it. He walked with me. He gave me strength when I was weak. He gave me joy when I was depressed. He gave me hope when I was hopeless. He gave me victory when I felt defeated. And you won't be able to contain yourself of sharing what Jesus has done in your life. God gets all the glory. And this is just another way that we are able to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. If we know and understand who is with us, we will make it through the storm. Amen? All right. I love you guys. Thank you for being here, and I can't wait to see you next week. God bless.